I'm a creative genius, and there's no other way to word it. I know you're not supposed to say that about yourself. I, you know, for me to say I wasn't a genius, I would just be lying to you and to myself. <laughs> Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. No, I'm good. Actually, I'm the best. Because I'm awesome! I am awesome! When you think about your kids, are you worried about raising a child who has self-esteem, confidence, and knows how to strut their stuff? Or do you want your child to learn humility? I'm Carol Lloyd, and this is Like a Sponge, the podcast for parents about how children learn and thrive. And today, in this last episode of the season, we're talking about a very old-fashioned virtue, something that may not be on your radar when you think about raising your children. We're talking about humility. Bar none, I am the most humblest. Number one at the top of the humble list. My apple crumble is by far the most crumblest, but I act like it tastes bad at in America, we have a reputation for big heads and braggadocio. This reputation for being full of ourselves shows up in all sorts of weird places. Like in the Oscar award-winning documentary, American Factory, about a Chinese billionaire who buys a defunct factory in Ohio. They fly in Chinese workers to train the American workers. So the company hires a Chinese-American executive to teach the Chinese about American culture. Here's what he's saying. There's a culture in the U.S. where children are showered with encouragement. So everyone who grows up in the U.S. is overconfident. They're super confident. You cannot flatter an American to death. It even shows up in our test scores. In an international assessment of math, reading, and science skills of 15-year-olds around the world, Americans came in below average for math performance, but above average for math confidence. It's no news that a lack of humility can backfire. We've all probably known someone at work whose opinion of their own skills overshoots their real abilities. And this legend in their own mind sensibility, it gets in the way of them doing their job. Or maybe there's a person in your own family who's a know-it-all, someone who corners you at family parties, giving you advice on things that you understand far better than they do. Your job, for instance. Or worse, your children. We've all been there. It's easy to spot a lack of humility in adults. But what about kids? We tolerate this a lot better from kids than we do from adults. And what about our own children? We want our kids to feel special, right? How do we make sure that sense of self-confidence doesn't turn into self-congratulation? My mommy says I'm a miracle. My daddy says I'm a special little guy. I am a princess. And I am a prince. Philosophers have been debating the value of humility for millennia. Confucius said, humility is the solid foundation of all virtues. But only recently have researchers begun looking at this ancient virtue from a scientific perspective. There's a growing body of evidence that suggests that humility isn't just for ancient philosophers. It's actually a really powerful quality for any child to have. Why? because it makes them better learners. And that's huge. 
But if we're raising our children in a culture that seems to reward ego over humility, how do we reconcile these different perspectives? I'd read a lot about the benefits of humility, but it still seemed like it clashed with everything I thought I knew about raising confident kids. So I called a researcher who's trying to understand the connections between humility and confidence in children. Hello. Hello. That's Tennille Porter, scholar in residence at the University of Pennsylvania's Character Lab. I'm a developmental psychologist. I study um, how children develop in schools, especially how adolescents develop in schools. So what is intellectual humility? Intellectual humility is acknowledging the limits of your knowledge Um, It's being able to say, I might be wrong about this. My view might not be right. Um, So we have a lot of research on things like self-efficacy and confidence. Um, But what we don't really fully understand is what happens when you go too far on the other side, when you kind of overestimate your knowledge, when you think you know more than you do. So you did some research with high schoolers recently. Yes. So um, I've done a few studies with adolescents. People talk about adolescents and teenagers as being like really, really narcissistic. There's kind of a debate that they are just notoriously like know-it-alls. And maybe this generation's even worse than all generations before. People like to talk about that, though there's not a lot of evidence for it. But in any case, so one of our goals was to see, are we going to see you know, can high school students have this intellectual humility? We find that some of them do. Some of them are score highly on our measure of intellectual humility. They tend to earn higher grades. Um, so they earn higher grades in math. And that was an association that even uh, remained after we balanced everybody out for where they started out the year in math. In other words, despite the bad rap that adolescents get, Some kids are intellectually humble, and in this study, those kids got better grades in math compared to kids who didn't score high on intellectual humility. But it wasn't just grades. They actually learned more. Their teacher also rated them as being more engaged in learning. They were more interested in staying engaged and trying to learn even after they got feedback. I wondered if Porter found examples of kids who were too humble, so they just accepted not knowing things, and they didn't try to learn them. But Porter said this didn't show up in her research. So one sort of tension that you might imagine is a kid who is intellectually humble, you might wonder, will they just become sort of helpless if they fail? Will they kind of throw up their hands and say, I don't know, I'll never know, I might as well just give up? We just don't see that pattern happening with kids who score high in intellectual humility. They actually persist longer through really difficult problems. They, they're they more effortful. If they fail at something, they get failure feedback. They're actually more interested in trying to learn what they did wrong. And yeah. so what does it mean for parents? You know, I think that being able to admit it or acknowledge it when you don't know something is a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. I think there are some parents who might think 
oh, I don't want my kid to be humble. I mean, I'm trying to build my kids' confidence and self-esteem. I want them to be successful and to approach challenges. And humility must necessarily work against that. We don't see that. We actually see self-possessed, intellectually humble kids who uh, seem to embrace challenges, to not be afraid to take on things they might not succeed at at first, um, and to persist. So I think that might be a message for parents. In other words, most humble kids actually have plenty of self-esteem. The two qualities aren't opposites. In fact, they often go hand in hand. For some of you, intellectual humility may sound a little like growth mindset, that popular idea that you can grow your intelligence through effort, instead of just thinking intelligence is something you're born with. And Porter says that growth mindset and intellectual humility are often found in the same person, but they're not exactly the same thing. It's a lot easier to have humility if you're in a growth mindset, and we have some evidence for that. But it doesn't look like they're the same thing. What we see, though, on average is that um, kids higher in intellectual humility also tend to endorse a growth mindset to a greater degree. When asked how parents should cultivate humility in their children, Porter is, well, humble. We don't know. And we don't know, really. (laughs) I mean, if it were me, um, model it, celebrate it keep different sources of information in the house. I mean, we're in a really polarized time. This is the era of cable news when people um, just kind of exist in echo chambers. Mm-hmm. And so maybe as parents, we challenge ourselves to not demonize those from the other side. Yeah, it's sort of a, a way to raise a child who can forge bridges to yeah. other types of people. Well... I say and always say you can't learn what you already know, but you parents can't learn what you think you already know, and neither can your children. And so cultivating that sense of comfort with limitations and eagerness to learn is valuable. Being comfortable about what you don't know, being eager to learn. These are precisely the ideas that Chandra Castleton a screenwriter and teacher based in Northern California, has been thinking about as her daughter hits her teen years. Not so much because of her daughter's experience, but her own. Well, so... My father's a scientist. I was always taught to value my intelligence. Because of her father's work, Chandra grew up going to schools all over the globe. Africa, Brazil, the U.S., and for the most part, she pretty much sailed through without breaking a sweat. And I think with my parents, I was given the impression that I was exceptionally intelligent (laughs) and didn't really have to do the work that was necessary and kind of took pride in not doing the work that was asked of me or kind of getting away with stuff. But when she was in eighth grade, her parents moved to a rural part of West Africa that literally had no high schools. So they shipped Chandra and her sister off to a boarding school in Massachusetts, a prep school where every child was headed for a selective college. I had no idea what a prep school was or really anything 
about it, but I got there and found out that uh, I wasn't necessarily the smartest kid in the class at all, and I had some challenges. It all came to a head in algebra class. I just remember feeling completely at a loss, and um, I actually at some point got put into a remedial math class, which the process of getting there and being put in there was just awful. It felt really embarrassing. Even in the subjects where she could have excelled, this mindset that she was smart sabotaged her. I have this distinct memory that's so painful of having a history teacher come up to me one morning. I had not done the work, and then I did a last-minute paper, handed it in, and I had done pretty well during the class, but this was a final project. And he saw me on campus, and he walked up to me, and he said, how's your foot? I said, what do you mean, how's, how's my foot? I'm, I'm fine. And he said, no, the foot that you shot yourself in. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, there was no reason to not have done well other than just this idea that if it if it's not easy then somehow it became terrifying right. and the thing that i really regret is that i found myself uh shying away from things that i was attracted to but i was afraid that i wasn't going to be good at mm. right away Guarding her perception of being good at things became her stealth identity. It even affected how she chose her hobbies. I really wanted to make the dance team. And I went to one tryout and I dragged a friend of mine along with me who wasn't interested, but just to keep me company. And she made the team and I did not. And that was maybe, I don't know, my freshman, my sophomore year. And I never tried again. Chandra felt humiliated, not humbled. She felt exposed, her flaws laid bare in a way that made her feel like hiding. It was only later that she learned to take her experiences like this with humility and awareness that she might not be the smartest person in the room or that certain things required a lot of effort, but she could persist and learn and enjoy herself in the process. As her daughter hits the same period, she's recently been recalling those days in middle school when she sailed through school with a sense of superiority. I didn't even study, and I heard my daughter say this last week. I think I did really well on that quiz. I didn't even study. And it just makes it, it, it you know, it's just everything kind of goes on alert. Like, no, 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 because that was me. And that's not good. Chandra tries to emphasize that effort, not smarts, is what matters. But her daughter has already been subject to the kind of dubious praise that made Chandra feel like she needed to protect her identity as a smart person, which made her scared to try anything new. At this point, the researchers studying intellectual humility are too intellectually humble to give a hard prescription about how to help your child learn to be humble. When pressed, they echo Chandra's messages for her daughter. 
The important thing is effort. You can't learn what you already know. I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Above all, think about these messages not being so much quick fixes for the math test on Friday, but a way of being in the world for the long haul. Chandra tries to keep this in mind as she watches her daughter grow up in a world where so much is made of achievement and talent. I feel like I I keep trying to remind myself to think long term. You know, talent can be found in lots of people. We often say that we want our kids to be happy, but what we have in our minds is more we want them to excel and make plenty of money and have that safety net. But if you, you know, help them develop the skills that make them resilient in any situation, then they're set for whatever happens for, you know, the rest of their lives and after we're gone. Research shows that Chandra's right. Intellectual humility is a great quality to foster in your child because it will ultimately help them succeed. But it's not just good for your child. It's also good for society. In these polarized times, being able to admit what we don't know, to listen with an open mind, may be the only way to bridge our differences. It's like humility is the precondition of a civil, democratic society. And that's something we need, now more than ever. That's it for another episode of Like a Sponge and our season about the science of raising kids with character. Special thanks to Tennille Porter for sharing your research and to Chandra Castleton for sharing your story. This is the last episode of the season. It's been an amazing journey, exploring the qualities that help our kids become kind and resilient. We hope you'll check out the whole season and share your feedback in a review on iTunes. We want to thank all the character researchers out there who are discovering the science about what makes us caring and courageous. Finally, we want to thank you, the listeners, for listening. Your stories and feedback are really important to us, so share your comments, stories, questions, and we will read every one. This episode of Like a Sponge was produced by Carol Lloyd and me, Charity Ferreira, for Great Schools, thanks to the support of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and the John Templeton Foundation. Christopher Ferreira is our sound engineer. Dr. Rich Lerner is our advisor on the science of character development. We owe big thanks to the rest of our team, Jessica Kelman, Vicki Liu, and Sharon Laszlo. We love you guys. I don't have any opinions anymore. All I know is that no one is better than anyone else and everyone is the best at everything. 